I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. Employee engagement has presented itself as a perplexing issue to solve. Engagement survey after engagement survey inevitably come back with lower numbers than most companies want, especially in the last couple of years. Gallup's research indicates that this year, in 2022, 32% of employees are engaged, only 32% of employees, while 17% are actively disengaged. The remaining 51% fall somewhere in the middle. Companies wonder why they don't see higher numbers of employees who report being engaged or highly engaged in their role and in their company. What if employee engagement isn't what we want anymore? What if that's not what employees want? What if companies stopped wasting precious resources to try to up their engagement numbers? What if low engagement was the goal? Now, I'm not suggesting that you stop doing the kinds of things that are reported to increase engagement. Things like listening to your employees and making them feel heard, giving them training opportunities, doing a good job, bringing them on board. Don't stop doing those things. Just have different expectations about them. Do them because they're the right thing to do rather than to get higher engagement scores. In Gallup's most recent survey, More than half of those born after 1989, so people who are 33, 34, and younger, reported being not engaged. More than half. Those are still people who are going to show up to work and do at least the minimum required, but not much else. Younger working professionals are not all finding it fulfilling to work a full-time job and climb the corporate ladder. Some of them just don't want to. Enter the phenomenon of quiet quitting. Now, quiet quitting might not be what you think it is. It's a bit of a misnomer. In fact, quite a bit of a misnomer. A person who is quietly quitting is not necessarily going to resign or quit. Instead, they are quitting the idea of going above and beyond. The original intention is that the person is quietly fading out from being a high achiever and starting to meet minimum expectations, essentially to have low employee engagement. It doesn't mean they're not doing their job. It doesn't mean they're not doing a good job. Here's the sentiment behind quiet quitting. The person thinks to themselves, I want to do my job, but not go above and beyond and have work bleed into my personal life the way it used to. As one quiet quitter put it, quote, 
I want to untether my job from my identity. Now, this has all kinds of implications for employee engagement. Gallup has been studying employee engagement for decades. And as I mentioned, employee engagement keeps falling. But what if you're not engaged because you have a life outside of work and you want to stay in that job for a very long time, but just not give your life over to it? That's quiet quitting. Now, of course, the downside of quiet quitting is that you might be more vulnerable if there's a downturn in the economy that leads to layoffs. In fact, I watched a recent CNN interview where this came up. The reporter was talking with someone who is championing this idea of finding more meaningful work, or better yet, finding meaningful ways to spend her life while also earning some sort of income, whether that's through the gig economy or starting your own business or earning money elsewhere. The reporter asked her about what happens if you really need to go back to that corporate job and you've burned a bridge or you have a bad reputation because you faded out, you quietly quit. As I listened to this, I realized there was a completely outdated assumption on the part of the reporter that she would actually need that corporate job at some point. The reporter was totally out of touch with the gig economy and entrepreneurial thinking, the kind of thinking that has pervaded our culture for the last, oh, at least dozen years. Now, as a side note, I could safely apply the term quiet quitting to my exit of a corporate job to becoming a full-time entrepreneur back in 2010. I was developing my website on the weekends, taking vacation days to give keynote speeches at conferences, and of course, keeping it all very quiet. I'm fairly sure that if you asked my direct reports from that time or my boss, they saw little to no difference in my effort or my approach to work. It was more of a mindset. And sure, I might have given some plum projects to some of my direct reports rather than taking them on myself because I was quietly quitting, I guess. I was planning my exit slowly, methodically, and certainly quietly. So there have been pockets of us doing this for years, especially those of us who are entrepreneurial minded. Okay, so, okay, this has always been a bit of a thing. But upon closer examination, I actually thought this would have happened a long time ago. I grew up in an age where the notion of lifelong allegiance to a corporation was shattered. Absolutely shattered. Working professionals were climbing the corporate ladder and had their identity woven tightly with their employer. They were IBMers, 3Mers, GMers, GEers, and so on. Those who worked at IBM, 3M, General Motors, and General Electric, respectively. But then this thing called downsizing happened in the 1980s. In each year of the 1980s, roughly 2 million full-time workers reported losing their jobs because their employers either went out of business or laid them off. Downsizing, right-sizing, reduction in force, or RIF for short, and yes, even optimization, workforce optimization, whatever euphemism you want to call it by, in the 1980s and early 1990s, it became popular practice in companies because it was seen as a way to deliver better shareholder value and reduce costs. Reducing costs by 
cutting salaries. And then as you might have already guessed, those who were left behind still working for the corporation, the ones who didn't get laid off, are expected to do the same amount of work that they and their former colleagues were doing. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, during most of the 1980s, roughly one in 25 workers lost their job in any two-year period. And in the 1990s, this rose to one in 20 workers. 43 million jobs lost in every walk of life and nearly every occupation. In fact, General Electric was so well-known for this practice that their CEO, Jack Welch, earned the moniker Neutron Jack because he did so many rounds of layoffs, it was said that he took out all the people and left the buildings standing, just like a neutron bomb would. Now I ask you, why? In fact, I implore you, why would workers still have any level of loyalty left after the 1980s? Why would they want to be engaged? Why would they want to be highly engaged in their role or in their company when this was the norm? Seriously, this notion of quiet quitting likely should have happened decades ago. But back then, there wasn't the gig economy, nobody had a side hustle, And the highly pervasive entrepreneurial spirit that we have in the culture now was not present. It was a huge risk back then to get out from under the shadow of the corporation. But here we are now in 2022 in a very different place. So I want to ask you, how could quiet quitting be good for business if companies embraced it? We're facing a huge labor shortage. Unemployment numbers are lower than they ever have been in, gosh, my lifetime. What if companies advertised a stable job with good benefits where you're not expected to climb the corporate ladder? You're expected to come into the office or work from home to do the work and then clock out, not answer emails at 10 p.m., Not look at your mobile phone first thing in the morning when you wake up to see if your boss has responded to something that you sent them late last night. Just do the job and the company pays you a fair wage. Now, I have long talked about the importance of finding meaningful work and how that can look very different to different people. Some climbing the corporate ladder. Yes, absolutely. And others running their small town hardware store or driving a school bus not because they love hardware or driving buses, but because they love their community and the connection that they get to the community from running the hardware store or driving the bus. And then there's another example I've used over the years. 
the person who works on the line at the Ford Motor Company assembling F-150 trucks. Again, not because they love the assembly line or even love the Ford Motor Company, but because they earn a decent wage, get good benefits, and when they clock out, they're out. They don't have to think about work or how to do their job better or how to get their foreman's job. They have other things outside of work that are more fulfilling, like playing in a garage band or training for a marathon or making their own art or hanging out with their toddlers or their grandchildren, depending on their stage in life. Their job is merely their job. Or rather, their income is merely their income. Their fulfillment and satisfaction and their identity, essentially the meaning they make out of their life, does not come from their work. So, back to how this could work in service to companies during this time of severe labor shortage. Consider having more hourly roles, just like working on the line at the automobile factory. Pay for the hours worked. Pay the entry-level finance professional for the 40 hours worked, and then the remaining 120 hours of her week are hers and hers alone. Pay the marketing account manager for the 30 hours per week, if that's all it takes to do the job. And again, provided he does the job at least at the minimum level specifications, pay him and keep him on as a satisfied employee. Not a highly engaged employee, not even an engaged employee. Not someone who wants to be the marketing manager, and certainly not the chief marketing officer. Just someone who's satisfied. Maybe even happy. An employee who puts in the work to the level described in the job description. Not less, and certainly not more. And if not hourly roles, then consider having salaried positions that are career track positions and others that are not. Most large corporations already have a formal process for identifying and grooming future leaders. These are the ones on the career track, moving and shaking their way up the corporate ladder in the leadership pipeline. There are specific programs by which these folks get evaluated for their next opportunity in large organizations. There's a leadership profile and portfolio that gets reviewed on an annual basis. I know. I was once identified as high potential and had to update my profile a couple of times a year before the committee met to discuss my future. The same thing happens in small companies, but not in quite as formal a way. But what about tagging these other folks, these wage earners, these folks who are not on the career ladder as contributors? not as high potential, not as high performers, but instead solid contributors. People who want to work, but don't want to give up their life for it. People who want to do the job, but don't want their identity tied to it. We would expect low engagement from them. In fact, if they got their personal satisfaction and meaning in life, especially their identity from outside of work, They just might be the most reliable, dependable, and effective employees ever. They would know the economic value of the relationship. The employee provides value to the company. The company pays the employee a fair wage for said value. Done. Complete. So to all you managers and human resources professionals and senior leaders who have been fretting about your low employee engagement numbers, why not embrace them? Heck, shoot for low numbers. I hope I've got you thinking differently 
through this episode about quiet quitting and employee engagement. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if it got under your skin, please share it with a colleague and debate the issues around it. Shoot me a direct message over on Instagram. That's the best place to easily find me and get a quick response. I'm at Dr. Janelle Anderson over on Instagram. Shoot me a message and let me know what you think of this idea of aiming for low employee engagement and reducing employee engagement as a retention model for attracting and retaining workers who are going to do the job. Not necessarily fill your leadership pipeline, but just do the job and do a decent job. Again, shoot me a message over at Dr. Janelle Anderson on Instagram, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.